0: Are you looking for a church home, or simply a weekly message that will revive your spirit? Each week, Pastor John Butler delivers applicable messages that will refuel your spiritual man and bring a new desire to your heart. Here's Pastor John Butler with this week's encouraging message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What a powerful time of worship this morning. Thank you so much for leading us, Mark and Courtney, and uh, and the guys, Amen. So appropriate—you'll find out in just, a moment, in just a moment. So appropriate this set of music that we that we sang this morning that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to uh, to bring us to this morning. I appreciate his obedience to the Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter ten. We'll start with verse three through five. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. It says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. If you would, bow your heads with me one more time before you're seated. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and we just ask that that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us to all truth. Lord, the truth of your word, the truth about us. Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes this morning to see ourselves as we truly are. Open our ears, God, to hear your word this morning as if it were coming straight from your throne today. I pray, God, that, that, uh, that my thoughts would be yours, that my words would be yours, Lord, and that you would use me in the next few minutes as your mouthpiece, Lord, to speak to us the things that we most desperately need in our lives this morning. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for everything. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you. Well, today is the last in our series on spiritual warfare and the conclusion of a message that I started last week called SWAT, Spiritual Weapons and Tactics. So what we've discovered in this series, which I think has been five or six weeks long, is that the ministry of Jesus Christ includes so much more than we've given it credit for. The ministry of Jesus Christ includes so much more than just salvation. The majority of Christians in America today never move past a salvation experience, and as a result, their lives are just about as bound up as the lives they lived before they ever met the Lord. Now, many Christians like Lazarus, many of us have have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, only to find that we are bound by the grave clothes of our old lifestyle, our old sins, and our old addictions. When Jesus stood up in the in His home synagogue uh, in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 and He announced the scope of His ministry, He said He came to preach the good news to the poor. That's salvation. But He didn't stop there. He also said He came to bring the release of the captives. He said He came to bring healing for the sick. He came to bring freedom for the oppressed. And He came to bring favor for all those who receive the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are living far beneath the privileges Granted to us as children of the king. Now, if you've been following the news, you can't turn on the news without seeing a picture of this little baby born in England this past week to uh, William and Kate. And, and he will, this, this little kid has no idea what he's been born into. He has no idea. He will never have to work a day in his life, will he? He, he, will, he will never have a need that is unfulfilled. He is royalty by virtue of the conditions of his birth. Nothing that child did, he just popped out, and now he's a prince. And probably before he dies, he'll be the king of England. Now, as Christians who have been born again, the conditions of our birth dictate that our every need will be met by the Lord himself. We are royalty as well. We are children of the king. We are king's kids. And there is freedom and healing and deliverance and favor that's been set aside for us. And all we have to do is learn how to receive it and how to walk in it. And that's been the, that's been the premise of this series on spiritual warfare. The problem is that we have an enemy who wants to keep us as weak and and, as we can possibly be. He wants to keep us held hostage by the things that have always bound us. He wants to prevent us from walking in the authority that we've been given by our Father. Because, uh, because we have an enemy, we had better learn warfare. If we didn't have any enemies, there's no reason for us to learn to fight. But because we do, we better figure it out, and not just any warfare, because the enemies that we face are not the ones we can see. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy, so we better learn how to fight with spiritual weapons and tactics, much like an earthly SWAT team, so that we can get the victory over our enemy Every time. Now last week, we began to understand the weapons that are in our arsenal. Uh, we, we talked about the sword of the Spirit, which according to Ephesians 6 is the Word of God. And we talked about how that when we learn the word, the truth of the Word of God, and we learn to speak those things out loud and stand on those promises, that we do warfare against an enemy who cannot resist the Word. Because the Word is not just words on a page. It's not just ink printed on these thin little pieces of paper here, the Word, according to John chapter 1, is Jesus Christ Himself. So when we when we wield the sword of the Spirit, it's Jesus who fights our battles, and that's good news for us because He never loses. Now we also talked last week about praying in the Spirit. Very powerful weapon that we use by getting our hearts in a neutral position so that we can pray according to the will of the Father. Whether that's by allowing the Spirit to pray through us, or praying the Scriptures, or just getting bare bones, honest with God, praying in the Spirit is a way to guarantee an answered prayer, and one that will work for the maximum benefit of everybody involved. Now when you understand that you either are or soon will be in a spiritual battle, then there is no such thing as not having enough time to pray. We talked about this last week. You make time to pray. You will never have a day where an hour just presents itself so that you can go and pray and seek the Lord and read the Bible and just have a lovely spiritual time. That does not happen in your day. Every moment will be accounted for by something else unless you dictate your priorities. You have to make time to pray. No matter how much that is, you may sneak in five minutes here or 20 minutes there. You may pray while you're driving down the road or while you're walking down the hallway at the office, but you you may get a devotional email coming to your inbox every day that you read instead of reading the jokes that your friends send you, right? You have to make a decision sometimes. I I get people send me stuff all the time and, and I enjoy reading and I enjoy interacting with those folks, but sometimes I'm just going, I just don't have time for that today. I think this is probably something I can skip because you can't put everything in your day. So sometimes you have to prioritize what you're going to do. Now, like we said last week, the men and women of the SWAT team, they don't get off the truck trying to figure out how to use their weapons. They've been practicing with those things for weeks and for months and for years so that when they have to use them, it's second nature. It's muscle memory. They they get out, and when they use those weapons, they know how to use them because they've stayed in practice. We've got to stay committed to prayer and and Bible reading as spiritual disciplines. The stuff that we do because we know we need to do it. It's like eating your vegetables. It's like exercise. it's, it's It's like brushing your teeth. Nobody just says, yeah, baby, I get to brush my teeth today. I have never seen anybody post on Facebook about to go brush my teeth for like two minutes. Nobody's excited about it. You just have to do it. It's one of those disciplines that you have to do. And sometimes we we get up and we look at the things we have to do in our day and we go, I just don't see a place for prayer and Bible reading in there. Well, sometimes you just have to do it because you know you need to do it. Now, there's another weapon that I want to tell you about this morning that we find in Scripture that we can add to our arsenal this morning as well, and it's related to the two other weapons, but it's a powerful addition to them as well, and it's a weapon that we have access to now more than at any time in the past. We might even be surrounded by it for much of our day, but don't even realize how powerful it is. If you have your Bibles with me, with you, would you turn with me to Second Chronicles in the Old Testament? We're in Second Corinthians in the New. Now we need to go to Second Chronicles in the Old Testament in chapter twenty. Second Chronicles chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 20, and we'll look at verse 21, and if you didn't uh, bring your Bible or can't find it, it's on the screen in front of you. I'm reading from the, from the uh, NIV this morning. Let me kind of set this up for you and let you know what's what's been going on. In this passage, the men of Judah were surrounded by three different enemy armies. They were in serious trouble. But, but watch, I want, what, the reason I'm reading this and we're reading this together, I want you to watch the strategy that the king used here. He, he understood something about warfare that we need to understand, and that's why we're reading this, this morning. So it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love... <clears throat> Endures forever. Now, notice he put the singers and probably some musicians, he put the worshipers out in front, in front of the army. How would you like to be uh, asked to be on the praise and worship team in this situation? Hey, you're getting promoted to the worship team. Bad news is you're going out in front of the guys with the swords and the shields. As they, sing, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Those are the three invading armies of Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, so they finally got to the battlefield... They come up on the top of the hill, they look over the hill, and they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. And, they, and and no one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Jehoshaphat knew that his problem, he, he woke up one morning and, and his sentries told him, hey, king, we are surrounded by three enemy armies. But Jehoshaphat knew that his problem was not in the flesh and blood army that surrounded his city. He knew that as a child of God, as the leader of God's people, he knew that his real enemy was in the spirit world. And he had had, had enough sense to know that if he had a spiritual enemy, then he had better learn to fight with spiritual weapons. So he used a weapon that if we could only conceive how powerful it is, it would transform our lives and our church. The king, Jehoshaphat, wielded the weapon of praise and worship. When those singers and musicians approached the scene of the battle, singing praises and worshiping the Lord, something happened in the spirit world. Something beyond their ability. Something that they could not have made happen on their own. Suddenly the number of those who were fighting for them exceeded the number of those that were fighting against them. And the tide of the battle turned and the physical armies that they were facing began to fight each other. And by the time Judah's army actually got to the battlefield, it was all over except collecting the spoils. What do we get? What can we learn from that? When we find ourselves in a spiritual battle, we have got to shake off the fear and the despair and the what ifs and the I'm not sure's and we've got to get a great big dose of greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have got to wrap our brains around not the size of the enemy that's coming against us, but the size of the God who is fighting for us. When we praise God in spite of our bleak circumstances, when we worship Him, when we seek an intimate relationship with Him despite the fact that our hearts may be breaking and our minds may be confused and we can't see a way forward in the natural, when we set aside what our natural eyes can see and begin to praise the attributes of God and worship Him in spirit and in truth, then something happens in the spirit world. The Bible says that God will set an ambush For your enemy. They may think they have the upper hand. They may think they have you surrounded. But when God shows up on the scene, the victory is a foregone conclusion. Now, throughout the Psalms, the writers talk about the God. When God moves, thunder rolls and lightning strikes. It is an awesome scene. Winds howl and smoke billows. It talks about hills melt like wax on a candle. And mountains are moved from their very foundations. It's a picture of the power and the majesty of God. And I know that, that when we think about God moving on our behalf, We think about that, man. We think about him riding on the wings of the wind and, and coming in and just sweeping over the enemy and just knocking them out and it's loud and it's nasty and there's blood flying and every, oh man, well that, maybe that's the way, that's the way men think about it. I don't know what you ladies think about it, but, but we think he shows up, man, and everybody knows it and he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, uh, show up on our behalf and everybody's gonna know that we were, that we were praising him and that we were, we are children of the king. But sometimes, when his children start to praise and worship him, when they begin to give him praise for things they haven't even seen yet, God will sneak out of heaven and tell his angels to be quiet. And he'll slide down and, and, and he'll look over the earth where he hears the hearts of his children crying out to him in faith, thanking him for a victory in a battle that hasn't yet been fought. And God will take a quick look over the battlefield, smile at his children that are surrounded by the enemy. And then he'll look back over his shoulder and wink at those who are waiting in heaven and just whisper, watch this. And then he'll set a trap for the enemy. One they will never see coming. And then God will just back up, sit down on the throne of praises of his children And watch as the enemy begins to self-destruct right before his very eyes. When you choose to go into a spiritual battle with enough faith to praise him for the victory, God himself will show up and ambush your enemy. Praise and worship is not another name for the musical portion of our service. It is not a genre of Christian music. You can sing a worship song without ever worshiping. You can sing a song uh, without, a praise song without ever connecting to God. But when you understand the power of praise and worship, you will never come into a service and stand silently again while others sing. You will never stand grudgingly with your hands in your pockets or folded over your chest just waiting on Mark to get through this this song and another one so you can sit down. When you understand the power of the weapon of praise and worship, you will engage your mind and your spirit with the song. You will sing those songs to God as if he were standing right in front of you. you sing those songs with an understanding of the connection between the the lyric and the life that it brings to you. You'll quit worrying about how loud or how soft it is. You'll quit worrying about how fast or how slow it is. You'll quit worrying about how well or how poorly it done it is. And you'll take the opportunity to wield the power of praise and worship so that God can defeat your enemies on your behalf. Now, the good news is You don't even have to wait for a service. You don't even have to wait for a song. You might be in the middle of that building that you work in where you can't get a radio signal, where you can't turn on any music, where it's just you and God all day long. Praise and worship transcends music. Music is a way to praise and worship, but it is not the only way and it does not define praise and worship. You can praise and worship God as you walk down the halls at work or on your way through the parking lot, or while you do the dishes, or the laundry, or cut the grass, you can speak your praise to God. You can tell the Lord how much you love Him, how much He means to you, how much you appreciate Him. You can thank Him for the victory in the battle that you're facing, even though the conclusion is not yet finished. The, the, you, the Lord, you can tell the Lord how much you love Him, and and, and you another name for praising God is magnifying Him. We, we, we just throw these words out. And I've been in church so long, I don't even listen to what I say half the time. Right? You know what you say? You say things, you oh, praise the Lord. You, just, you can do the whole deal without ever turning your brain on. I know y'all are shocked. But we can do the whole church thing for years and never even turn our brains on. Never even listen to ourselves to what we're saying. We don't no more mean what we say than the man in the moon, because we're not thinking about it. It's like when you walk out, when you walk out the door at home sometimes and you say, bye, I love you, or you hang up the phone, bye, I love you. You can say that and you don't feel the first thing. Sometimes you've said it to the boss when he called, just out of habit. We had a teacher say it to another teacher when I was when I was a public school teacher. We all laughed at her because she just out of habit. Some teacher called into the room and she answered. And when she got done, she said, "Bye, I love you," and hung up at the phone. Was oh, what did I do? We didn't mean she didn't mean she loved that person. She may have, but she didn't mean to say it. It just rolls out. You can talk all day long and never actually engage your brain, never actually engage your spirit, never actually connect with the Father. Have you heard people that just say Christian stuff all the time? They don't, it just rolls out of their mouth. Oh, well, just praise the Lord. They just walk around and they just say Christianese all the time. It gets on my nerves. I don't know about you. It gets on my nerves. I'm like, would you just stop and just be like normal for a second? Stop. But when it's time to praise the Lord, when it is time to engage him, when it is time to worship him, then mean what you say. But when we magnify, another one of those words that we just throw, oh Lord, I just magnify you, I just edify you, just build you up, I just all this stuff, we just say stuff that we don't even mean. What does it mean to magnify something? What happens when you magnify it? it you make it bigger. It gets bigger. Everything else around it gets smaller. When we magnify the Lord, when we praise the name of the Lord, we are making God bigger than our enemy in our perspective. See, he's already bigger in reality, but our praise gets our perspective lined up with the truth of the word of God. We've got to use every opportunity to wield the weapon of worship against the enemy. Don't miss another opportunity to praise your God, because that's when he fights on your behalf. It'd be like having Shaquille O'Neal in the in the prime of his life sitting on the bench on your basketball team and never letting him go in and play for you. Christians do that all the time. When you have these three weapons, the word of God, praying in the spirit, and praise and worship, then you have everything you need to be successful in fighting the enemy. But there's one thing that the members of the SWAT team have that that makes all of the other stuff work. If they didn't have this, then wearing their armor would be in vain. And they couldn't use their weapons that they've trained so hard with. And that thing is their badge. Their badge is maybe the most important thing that they have. Now, their badge is not a weapon. You've never seen a SWAT team get out and stop. Hit people with their badge. It's not much of a weapon. And it's not much, it's not really part of their armor, though occasionally it has stopped a bullet accidentally. That badge represents their authority to wear the armor, to use the weapons, and to show up on the scene and take out the enemy. Without the authority of their badge, they'd just be a group of well trained vigilantes. But because of that badge, they can exercise their duty with the full faith and authority of the United States government and the Constitution behind them. They don't come on their own authority or their own ability or their own training. They come on behalf of the law of the land. Now, when we find ourselves in spiritual combat, it is not enough to just know the word. It is not enough to pray according to the will of God through the Spirit. It is not enough to just praise and worship God. We have to have the authority of God, and that comes through the name of Jesus. Let's look at some scriptures. John chapter 14, 13 and 14 says, this is Jesus speaking, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John 15 and 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And then look at John 16. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. The name of Jesus gives us the authority to pray to the Father, to stand upon the promises of the Scripture, and to enter into the presence of God through praise and worship with the expectation that He will hear and answer our prayer. But please hear me when I say this. The name of Jesus is not a magic word. It is not abracadabra. It is not something that you can just throw in at the end of your selfish prayer and expect God to make all of your dreams come true. The name of Jesus cannot be spoken at the end of something you're claiming in order to feed your own lust and greed and expect God to make it happen. The name of Jesus is powerful because it connects us to God through our submission to the will of the Master, Jesus Christ. We can have what the Word says we can have. But no more. We can have what the master promises us, but no more. The SWAT team can't just show up somewhere, just bust down the door and start shooting people. Why is that? They've got weapons. They've got armor. They've even got a badge. Yeah, but the the badge only gives them authority to the extent that the law says they can go. They can't go beyond what the Constitution says they can do. And in the same way, but just because we've got armor and weapons and a relationship with Jesus, it does not give us the right to go praying crazy stuff that does not match the written Word of God. Standing on promises that are not ours and praising and worshiping God for things He didn't say we could have. See, the problem with us Christians is that when you tell us something, you give us an inch, then we just run with it. And we take a truth of the Word and we blow it so far out of proportion that it looks nothing like what God actually said in His Word. You can't just open up the Word and just claim everything you read. The Bible talks about we have to rightly divide the Word of truth. You can't just declare, oh, God said my seed will be like the sand of the sea and I'll be a blessing to all the nations. Hallelujah. He didn't promise that to you. That was Abraham. You can't claim Abraham's promise. You can't just jump up in church and say, well, I'm praising God because he's promised me my offspring will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Hallelujah. That promise wasn't for you. as for David. You can't just open the book and just claim stuff. You say, well, pastor, we'd never be that ridiculous. I mean, come on. Don't insult our intelligence. I have heard Christians. I hear it all the time, pray, claiming and praising God for Cadillacs and mansions and winning lottery tickets. Hallelujah! God, go give me my numbers this week. <laughs> they're praising God for good health, but they're still smoking and eating stuff they knows bad for them. They pray, they're claiming a happy marriage in Jesus' name, but what they really mean is they expect God to change their spouse so that he or she will fulfill their every need and expectation. The badge does not give you that authority. The Word of God does not give you that authority. The promises and the provisions of God are almost always conditional and specific. Make sure you meet the conditions before you go out claiming it in the name of Jesus. But if you do meet the conditions, if it is a a, a promise that you can stand on, then stand on it proclaim it out loud speak the word of god praise god for what he's promised you pray about it with the faith that it's going to happen the name of jesus gives us the authority that we need to use the weapons of our warfare against spiritual enemies and expect victory in our own lives now mark why don't you come on i have to i've got to close this out we we could do this for months okay because everything can tie back in to spiritual warfare but let me remind you that it's, it's called SWAT, not just because of the weapons and the armor, but because of the tactics. These guys on the SWAT team know how to do some things that will ensure their victory beyond their use of the weapons. They, the, one, one thing they do, they set up a perimeter. As soon as they get there, they set up a perimeter. They, that means nothing gets in or out without their knowledge. We need to do that in our own lives. That speaks to the breastplate of righteousness. That, that means that we don't give the enemy a way to get into our lives through bad decisions, through bad attitudes, through lifestyles of sin. They, they also, when they arrive at the scene, they search the building thoroughly. They know every nook and cranny of that building. They know who's there and who's not. They know everything. They get the blueprint of the building and they make sure they know every inch of it. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does for us if we ask Him. He'll search us and He'll reveal truth to us. Now, the Bible said in our opening text that we have to take every thought captive. That's a tactic that we need to use to determine whether a thought is worth pursuing or not. Look, over the course of the day, we get thousands of thoughts across our minds, right? Some of them are worth pursuing and some of them are not. What we've got to do... Is when a thought crosses our mind, we have to do like the SWAT team does on the scene. When a thought crosses our mind, we've got to arrest that thing. We hold it for questioning. We wait and we, and we check that thing out. If it lines up with the Word of God and the will of God for our lives, then it can stay. But if it doesn't, then it's got to go. If we allow, if we allow those, uh, those negative thoughts to stay, then eventually they'll build into, to what's called a stronghold. Now, stronghold manifests itself in our lives as one of those things we just can't seem to get rid of. Those things that we just decided that we're just going to have to live with it. If you want to get rid of it, the first thing you have to do is stop feeding it. Sometimes a SWAT team shows up. If they got a hostage situation, they'll cut the power off to the building. When they do that, that weakens and sweats out the enemy. By taking our thoughts captive. It's a tactic that we can use to help sweat out the enemy that's staying in a stronghold in our lives. Now this series is coming to a close. But it's not the last that you'll hear about it. Because this is going to be a a regular part of the vocabulary that I use in messages in the future. And a regular part of the perspective from which I'll preach a variety of of, uh, topics and messages. You're going to hear me talk about strongholds. You'll hear me talk about deliverance from oppression. You'll hear me encourage you to pray and to worship and to read the Word. The fact of the matter is, as long as we're on the earth, we're going to encounter spiritual warfare. But we've got to be ready to face it when it comes so that we can stand up under the attack of the enemy and not just stand there, but be victorious. Because that's what God has in mind for us. Lives of victory. Lives of freedom. Lives of favor. And it's all given to us through the completed work of Christ on the cross. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray. And then you are welcome to come to this altar. If you would like to come and just begin to praise Him and to worship Him and thank Him and begin to wield the power of praise and worship, then you can, you can come and do that. If you'd like to come and pray about a specific situation you've got going on, then you can do that. If you realize you're facing a, a spiritual battle and you're not prepared, then come and ask the Lord to help you to take up that shield of faith. Help you, to, help you to put on that breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and all of the things that we've talked about in this series. But I just want to pray for you first as you, as you prepare your hearts. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that You would lead us and guide us to the truth. Lord, not just the truth found in Your Word, but the truth about ourselves. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves clearly from Your perspective and to know where we stand, God, so that we can get ourselves lined up with Your Word so that we can be victorious in everything that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor John Butler at Covenant Life Church in Bremen, Georgia. If you would like more information about our church, Please visit our website at www.covenantlifebremen.org. We look forward to meeting you soon.